Hi, welcome to Tabletop Transmissions. This is a podcast about being queer and playing tabletop games. Uh, as always, I'm one of your hosts, Liz. Uh, and joining me tonight, again, as always, uh, are my co-host. Hi, this is Cassie. And it is I, Fran. What was that? That that was just me being a little ridiculous. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I thought you did a lovely um, Count Chocula impression. (laughs) I'll I'll take it. I love to give you chocolate. (laughs) Anyway, folks. uh, So, thanks for tuning in tonight. Uh, so tonight we're going to be talking about varying levels of complexity and simulation within D&D. But before we get to that, uh, let's check in and see how we're all doing. So, uh, Fran, Cassie, how y'all doing? We're doing uh, pretty, I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, I'm not doing too bad. I'm, I'm a little bit tired, but, uh, but yeah, had a, had a very good weekend. I assume that's what you're angling for. I yeah, mean, just in general. Uh-huh. No, it's curious. Listen, I need... Go ahead. I was going to say, I need an answer to how bread is an action, but we're going to get to that. <laughs> um, I had a fantastic time last night. Um, I was... Uh, and, and actually, this is going to be my shout-out, too. I was... Uh, at a concert um, where I was in the front row and saw um, Mr. Richard Thompson as big as life, which I mean, I, that's just, it was incredible. It was amazing. I swear the man gets better at playing the guitar as the years go on. It's like, he's, he doesn't get less dexterous. He gets more dexterous. That's awesome. Just absolutely. Yeah. I wish my only, my only regret was that the seat next to me was empty because Rebecca was homesick. Yeah. Um, I thought about I thought about trying to call you, Fran, and saying, come on, you're finally going to go see him. But um, unfortunately, there just wasn't time. Yeah, no, I can understand. I don't think I would have been able to make it. Mm. And, and of course, I, I, there's no way I could have caught a flight. No. <laughs> no. 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 We didn't yeah. find out until, like, uh, and we didn't find out Rebecca was for sure not going until, like, an hour and a half before the show. So no, um, yeah. so Richard Thompson, uh, for those who don't know, is a musician. He's been a, he's been recording for over fifty years, both with a group called Fairport Convention in the beginning, and then as a duo artist with his wife, and now ex-wife, and then as a solo artist. And he is one of the greatest songwriters of the past fifty years, and he is the greatest guitarist I have ever seen live, whether playing electric or acoustic guitar absolutely astounding um hunt him out on youtube he's really really good so i did my <laughs> shout out now <laughs> that's cool yeah, yeah. Um, fran what have, what have you been up to uh you don't really care what i've been up to most of what i've been up to is taking down all the bajillions of halloween uh decorations that i put up last week so yeah, uh, I, saw, I if God, I saw this on Facebook, and I'm just I'm just blown away. My my wife's uh, lifelong determination um, ever since we've moved in here is like, we want to win the neighborhood, and I I gotta say it feels really good when um, I'm out spray painting dungeon terrain in my driveway as one does. As you do. And, um, and one of the neighbors comes up and is like, by the way, my kids still can't fit, can't stop talking about how awesome your decorations were this year. And uh, like that, that makes me really happy. Sarah's ultimate goal is to turn your house into a haunted house for Halloween. That is true. That is very true. (laughs) Oh no. I I remember that. That's the first thing I remember her talking about when, Mm -hmm. Um, right after you guys bought the house when she was giving us a tour. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, the, the mad plan for the basement, which still has yeah, not quite come to fruition. Filled, but... Well, you, you filled it with people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. 
Stewart's home for wayward girls. <laughs> uh, what have I been up to? Yeah, what have you been up to? Uh, let's see. Well, we went uh, we went camping. Uh, mm. we we went to Blackwater Falls, which was absolutely beautiful. Mm. Uh, and then we also I got to run. Uh, while you all were playing. I'm still not quite sure what um, <laughs> I was playing or I was running Knights uh, black agents mm. and that was a lot of fun. Uh, ran a, so for those of you that don't know Knights black agents, it's a game where it's a gumshoe game. I know take a sip um, <laughs> uh, where you play as um, burned. Generally you play as burned intelligence assets Oh, who, nice. have become, who have become aware of a vampiric conspiracy and have to stop it. Hmm. Um, and this time around, you're playing as a you're playing as members of a group inside MI6 called Project Edom that hmm. seeks to either use or neutralize vampiric assets. Um. Their ultimate origin was trying to recruit Dracula <laughs> uh, in the early 1800s or mid 1800s. Mm-hmm. You know, that went great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, um, ultimately, so this scenario was about. Uh, you're, you're, so you're members of Project Edom. It's shortly after World War II. It's about 1948. You are in the Russian-controlled sector of Europe um, hunting a vampire named Carmilla. Oh. oh. And uh-huh. <laughs> right when you find her, right when you think you've got her cornered, uh-huh. turns oh. out she gave you the slip. <laughs> so... You do figure out though she's fled to Vienna a bunch, and she's got a bunch of lookalikes, doubles that she's hypnotized mm-hmm. and given en- just enough blood to have some vampire mojo of their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she has replaced one of them. Huh. So you have to figure out. You have to find these folks first of all. Figure out then which one she's replaced. Mm, okay. Uh, and in our game, spoiler alert, because this is in the scenario, mm-hmm. uh, one of the players, one of the players had different uh, had a different agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were assigned the mission to um, to offer recruitment uh-huh, to Carmilla. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, complicate things with a Russian hit team and. You've got you got a really really fun time. That sounds like a really good time. Yeah, yeah. so uh that's what I did. <laughs> uh cool. that, No, that and this was that <laughs> first year I got to hand out candy. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. I've never had a place, I've never lived in a place that did trick or treating. Oh, yeah. So to, this was the first year I got to hand out candy. So that was fun. That's another thing Fran's wife uh, like to uh, brag about is she takes an almost exact count mm-hmm. of the can comes in and leaves, mm-hmm. so she can figure out how many kids uh, have come. Yeah. I'm just happy that we handed we bought just exactly the amount of candy we needed. We came now, pretty close, and wife, that's. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, hon. Say my wife's not happy because she likes leftover candy. Does <laughs> 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 yeah. anyone not? Any right-thinking person? Well, that's true. We, course, we if did... you're really smart, I was going to say, if you're really smart, you buy candy you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, you don't eat it all. <laughs> not, only, not only did I not buy candy I don't like, um, <laughs> we had quite a bit left over. Uh, so, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of Skittles, a lot of sour Skittles. Oh, 
good times. Sour Skittles. Uh, this is now this is now a uh, Sour Skittles Stan podcast. <laughs> but uh, but now Halloween Halloween was fun. I will, yeah, I will leave that to you, and I'll keep my lemon heads. <laughs> no, no, okay. This is a sour candy Stan Stan mm. podcast. There we go. Why? Because we're trans who either two of us who have either been on Spyro or used to be on Spyro. I'm just in it because it's tangy and tasty. But, oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I didn't sour like tea. sour candy before HRT, and I don't I don't know what it is, but now I can't get enough of it. Yep, yep. Sour candy, spicy food. I don't know. I mean, I'm like I said, I'm not even on Spyro anymore. It's uh, still <laughs> still digging it. But uh, anyway, so um, getting back on topic, mm. um, a friend and I were in an interesting game on Sunday. Um, I think I've talked about um, how we, uh, we we and our friends have done this uh, annual Halloween game uh, for holy crap, twenty eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, and it um it started out as an actual Ravenloft based game, and now it's just we use the name Ravenloft and we use the trappings of Ravenloft, but it doesn't always take place in Ravenloft. This year was actually mostly a Star Trek based game, mm-hmm. um, where we were a starship um, crew. Actually, we were the sea crew. The B and the C crew, because um, the A crew was off doing the important things. Um, mm-hmm. We were the B and the C crew. We were investigating in a nebula for for, um, for various things. One of the cool things that um, that that we did this year that we'd never done before, because Star Trek lends itself to this, is having different missions. So not only could the we were broken up into groups. Not only could the individual groups decide on the mission, but we would get together, have a briefing, and then do another mission. Um, no- normally, it's you're in a, you're you're in a game with a group, and then you get together for the big ending. But in this case, it was a lot more um, a lot more fun, and, you, and groups mixed and matched, and all kinds of stuff depending on their interest, the players' okay. interests. That is, and it was so. We're gonna get to the end. Okay. I okay. We're getting to the bread. Trust me. Think, please. I have to know. <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, Fran, do you want to give a brief summary of everything? Uh, well, no, I guess we can't give really a brief. We were investigating a nebula. Um, there were weird stuff going on in the nebula with beings of. Are you ready? Pure energy. And shocking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Um, pure energy. Um, I just I kept saying it. I couldn't. I couldn't help myself. Um, and uh, yeah. So three of the beings. So okay, the starship that this is terrible. The starship that uh, originally entered the nebula, the one that we were looking for. Um, their their crew had been um, playing a hologram simulate or a holodeck simulation called Ravenloft, which is basically them playing live-action D&D in Ravenloft. Mm-hmm. Um, the only way the energy beings had to make contact, because as far as they knew, there was nothing outside the nebula, was to um, enter the holodeck simulation as characters. And unfortunately, three of them entered the holodeck simulation as Masters of Ravenloft. No, four specifically Lord Soth, Azalin, um, Strahd, and Lord Alfred Tim. The fifth one entered as a paladin NPC character. So, you know, the crew of the first ship, the Shackleton, which I thought was well named, um, went went after and attacked the bad guys. And the pure energy beings not understanding what was going on basically assumed that they were that you know the humans or the federation were hostile and decided to treat them as such and then things escalated um so 
by the end, basically, we, um, I'm one of the, I, I, I had one through plot. Um, not everybody did it, did a through plot because like I said, there were different missions, but I happened to choose all the missions that went with one plot, which was gaining, gaining all this information and contacting the theme to find everything out. And what, what it said was that it would go into the holodeck program with us because the only way to, to end this and to make sure the, um, the beings didn't escape it was more with romulans i'm simplifying uh would be to finish the holodeck program um and so what it said was it would go in and manipulate code to change things to assist us by giving us some kind of magic items so we went into the the final thing and a lot of the time we play ravenloft um you know, the treasure that, that we find because basically monetary treasure is useless in a tournament situation mm-hmm. are magic items of some kind. Like, and, and are, are, are the, the main DM gets ridiculous with them. They're, they're generally amusing titles that do things like, you know, add one point of damage to everything and this, that, or the other thing. Well, it turns out the being had, had um, infiltrated the code and they had all become baked goods. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so I would throw my, I would, throw, oh, sorry, go ahead, Fran. Oh, I oh, was going to say, um, it, it helps to have a, uh, it helps to have a little bit of backstory. There was a uh, Ravenloft campaign that Jerry ran back in college um, where our characters uh, were going through Ravenloft, and we came across a particularly larcenous uh, dwarven oh. dwarven baker named Lofi. So um, you got to take this. You got to take this. You got to take this back for a second. Okay, I wasn't actually playing in this. I was being um, this our friend's confidant. You know, the person our friend would bounce items off of. They were starting to feel this is back in second edition. So everybody in the game was starting to feel the curse of Ravenloft and, you know, weird things were happening to them and they were mutating and things like that. That that's the background you have to understand to understand mm-hmm. Lofi. <laughs> yeah. Because Lofi, Lofi was like, um, eat more bread. Yeah. Here, this will no, help it was, you. With, it was. With your... Yeah. So. Um, so uh, you uh, you got a, a curse on you, right? Uh, yeah, and um, they said that you have magical powers and you can help lift it. Well, first I gotta diagnose you. Um, yeah, yeah, you're uh, you need to eat more bread. And and basically, it was very very difficult for us to figure out for certain whether or not he was actually lying without spending a bunch of gold on this bread that he had, and it turned out to basically be entirely yeah. bogus. And no, <laughs> no. Jerry would come. Jerry came over to me, and, and you know, I, I, after one session, was like, I can't believe they're buying this. I can't believe they're buying. This. Well, we were pretty desperate. <laughs> we, uh, we were, we were basically all sort of breaking out in curses of one, one stripe or another. One of our, one of the characters got turned into a skeleton. Um, my character my limbs literally started to split apart into these kind of thin spidery, uh, sub limbs and, yep, say and to more. Uh, say to more. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. So we were like, we'll buy bread. If that thing, if that seems to be the fix, but no, not so much. Well, it sounds like, it sounds like this was, this was amazing. Oh, it was incredible. I mean, Nick. cause you, you have to understand that up until the end, um, and even during it, even with mm-hmm. the bread, it wasn't like a silly, ridiculous game. I mean, the Star Trek games, there were three three DMs, and they all three had different style. I brought I I brought up before how you can have different kinds of Star Trek episodes and different mm-hmm. emphases with Star Trek, and that's one of the strengths. All three of them had different Star Star Trek feels, but they were all Star Trek, um, and it was just really really good so we we entered the simulation and we used the bread uh the bread products but um one of the things that the that the creature had told us is um 
three of the four you can be potentially reasoned with and they could back off. It's just the fourth one that there's no talking to. Uh And so we managed, we managed to negotiate with um, Alfred Timothy, the werewolf with Soth, the death knight and with um, Aslan. And of course we had to kill Strahd. Two people were, there were, there were 20 something of us, 22. Two people mm-hmm. were left going alive. Going into the final the fight. Back back. Well, not yeah. not going into finishing the final fight. Uh, um, well, no, I'm and saying we do this thing. going into the final oh. fight, we had about 22 people, and we wound up with yeah. two survivors. Yes. Uh, we have this thing where um, we all have candles, including Strahd. Strahd has a big-ass candle, and we all have these little tiny tea lights. Um, and... Uh, we turn the lights out and we play, and every time someone dies, they blow out their candle, so the Ooh. room gets darker and darker. It's it, it's just a it's just great. Um, and there have been years where Strahd has won, mm-hmm. but it's yep. different every year. So next year, since it's 2020, uh, we're going to be doing the obvious. Um, and um, pawnsmiths have already been recruited to help uh, our DM friend figure out the best way to to uh to do this well have been which i should mention um, yeah uh tara sounds like she's pretty much down Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean did you see her post on facebook yeah no she had a really really fun time and cody cody apparently did too which makes me feel really happy yeah Yeah, so yes we did have some pawns missed there um which was nice because i i had met I had met the elders, but I hadn't met the youngers, so that was cool. Well, it definitely sounds like you had a good time. So I am, I'm very excited. I'm actually, I'll be honest, I thought maybe the explanation was going to be super silly, but it wasn't. <laughs> it actually sounds like that's that's really clever, and I and I like how it all fitted together. Mm-hmm. Someday, yeah, no, I mean, it would be cool to make it out out here for one of those. We're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna get there. We just we just gotta figure out when. Yeah. So I mean, and I just told you my through the through line of that part. There were also uh, all kinds of other things, like there was uh, an ancient race that um, of physical beings that um, when the when nebula when the stars exploded to create the black holes, which created the uh, beings of pure energy. Or gave them sentience. They're, they were destroyed and regressed, and there were different. There were different races of these beings that had different, um, diff, all different aspects. And the fifteen-year-old player that we had there, who's the son of uh, of one of our old friends who we've known since he was a baby, um, <laughs> figured out that they were um, that they were um, vulnerable to human blood something in human blood so so you know if someone was wounded you know you put you 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 he he coated a, a an axe like that they that they had that the the savages had dropped and threw it at one of them and managed you know all kinds of stuff went on mm-hmm. that i wasn't part of <laughs> so it, there wasn't a simple through line anyway i'm sorry i've taken up way too much time today no no you were fine so, but our main topic tonight is we're going to be talking about levels of complexity in D&D. And kind of what my interpretation of the topic, and, and maybe you all are coming at it from a different perspective, but that's why we're kind of doing it this way. So when I say levels of, like, simulation, I look at things like, for me, the height of simulation is... Three, third edition and three five where you have mm. literally you have rules for everything uh-huh. mm-hmm. um and then at the ultimate end of the scale is well is basic where there's not really even rules for skill checks it's just role playing mm. yeah so um the way this topic came up I believe is I had a let's call it a discussion um, with someone on Twitter um, where basically I retweeted something um, that said basically the um, 
you can have just as good an experience with D&D as you can with an indie game because there can be, you know, you can have a game of D&D that everybody's into and a game of an indie game that, um, you could, that, that, you know, where the, the game master is just crap. Um, and you can have just as, as good a, just as good a time. I think it actually said a, the same experience, but they meant just as good a time. And this person went off on, on D&D and how blah, 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 and refused to admit that D&D had rules for role-playing just as indie games do, and said D&D is only about combat and only about um, binary, a, a binary combat system where even with their, even she, she, she was saying even with the skill checks, you hit or you miss, which is just not the case and hasn't been the case for uh, over 20 years, if indeed longer. Um, and then she held up a basic as the, as an indie style game because it was what it said it was. It was just a combat game. I'm like, what are you talking about? So that combined with the fact that Fran and I have had discussions about levels of simulation in games with D&D versus something like, say, Cyberpunk, because this was before the indie explosion that we used to have mm-hmm. these conversations, I think. Um, and, you know, is, is D&D uh, over-simulated? Does, does it not leave space for stuff? Things like that. Um, I know, friend, that you you were feeling that way for quite a while. Um, mm. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I can I can go into that a little bit. Um, <clears throat> and and um, I'm not in. I know I'm not entirely alone in this. Um, the during the three five days, D and D had. Um, uh, I was going to say proscriptive, but I think prescriptive is actually maybe a little bit, uh, well, I don't know what the right word is, but basically D&D went out of its way to create detailed rules for just about everything, every every situation you could run into. And the problem with that was I would want to do, you know, weird lunatic things, Um I will. I'll. I'll call them what they are. Um, I. I tend to like to do really strange stuff or try to come up with <clears throat> sort of um, off-label uses for various things. And because in three five they sort of they they had such a such a, a rich and detailed set of rules, um, there were a lot of times when even if there was an edge case that would have made sense to bend the rules on. Um, I had a lot of trouble getting GMs to accept that, well, you know, maybe I'm going to, maybe I'm going to let this slide this time. Um, I'm having a little bit of trouble thinking of a specific example right now, but Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd sort of be like, but it's cool. And they'd say, well, yeah, but it doesn't fit the rules. And finally, I ended up having to just sort of go, okay, right. And so it became sort of a running refrain of mine, which was, except that that's not how it works in the rules. So it's D&D and uh, Fran should just shut up and let me figure out how I can the thing. Um, yeah. But so, same. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so my kind of experience with it um I, I am going to be the biggest fourth edition defender. Um, I, I really like fourth edition. You're going to be the only fourth edition defender. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I so, will. Yeah. I will. I will say good things about fourth edition. I will not play yeah. it, but I will say some good things I, about it. So it but was so the, easy to run. <laughs> so the one thing I wanted to bring up that I really like are skill encounters that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and they used an idea that I've, I use it now in every game I pull, mm-hmm. I run the idea of failing forward. Mm-hmm. So the way these skill challenges would work in D and D is you'd have to get so many successes on a task before so many failures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were, they, you could incur, you could have set 
set skills, modifiers. There's all sorts mm-hmm. of little levers and dials and things you can tweak on it. But the core mechanic was certain number of successes before failures. Mm-hmm. And but the best advice that I ever saw for them were were if your players fail the skill check, don't make that a gate to stop the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Have them like it's like okay, you failed and you failed by such a degree, then things happen. Or if you succeed by such a degree, good things mm-hmm. happen. Yep. Um, and I think that's something that I I still use, and I I I have taken them and put them in my fifth edition game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I will I will say that that the best thing I can say about fourth edition is the DMs the DMG the DMs guide was fantastic. It it's still probably one of the best DMGs ever, uh, um, and that's part of the reason I'm I'm glad that some of that translated to fifth. Yeah, and and like when I think back to third edition, I I don't like third edition. Um, mm. I don't like it. I don't like it primarily because, well, I think for two reasons. I think because I played it with, I played it in high school. Which, mm. if we think back to our high school games, can <laughs> any of us really say those were good? The halcyon days, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and yeah, you know, we were stupid kids. Uh, so it's like, well, it's written in the rules. You have to have this, or if you fall into the water, you have to do something like, like just, just really nitpicky stuff. And, mm-hmm. and yeah. what D and D so much for me isn't, isn't really a combat game. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fantasy storytelling. Yeah. And 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 that sorry, go ahead. I'm I was so gonna say and I and I think I think out D and D out of the box is very much a combat game. But you can mm-hmm. step up your game and make it something else, if that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely it, does. It does. And uh, I mean, one of the things that got me about this argument is I kept going back to um, – I kept going back to my old argument of it depends on the people around the table. And this person refused to accept that because in the – I don't remember what game it was, but in a game that she brought up, there are specific penalties for not role-playing. It's indie game. There are specific penalties for not role-playing and things like that. And D and D doesn't have those. And I was like, and she's, and I, and I, you know, and she kept saying, you know, well, I've been in plenty of D and D I've been in some D and D games and yeah, it's all hack and slash. And I said, I'm sorry that you had that experience. And she said, I find that very condescending. I'm like, but, but no, no, cause D and D doesn't, it, it's not just a hack and slash binary combat game. It doesn't have to be. And it, it isn't even that going out, getting out of the box anymore. I mean, it hasn't <laughs> been since second edition, and yeah. it just really frustrated me because, I, yeah, I don't know. I will say, I, um, I will say, D and D is not my favorite fantasy role playing game. Um, that's and, that's fair. But and the reason it is is because. Because I've played Dungeon World. Mm. And I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. Um, For whatever reason, Dungeon World clicks with my brain a little better. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. Yeah. And sure. I I already run D&D like like Dungeon World. Like um, the idea of failing forward. Um, not to say that I don't like D and D. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm I'm running D and D right now. Um, I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure. I'm saying this right. No, no, no I think it's I fine. hear you. I, I understand. Yeah, but for me, like, I and I think it comes down to like what kind of what we've been talking about, particularly how D and D is run. Like there are. 
there are nights when I am when we're playing D and D, and I am very much up for a uh, classic dungeon crawl, mm-hmm. where it's like, all right, we're gonna kick down the door, kill the monster, steal their stuff. Yeah. Uh, but mm-hmm. more often than not, I like um, I like talking to the monsters. Mm-hmm. Um. And what for the longest time I was one of those, and I know I, I this is gonna sound contradictory to what I just said, <laughs> uh, but I am I am nothing if not contradictory. You contain multitudes. I am. I I do. I am multitudes. Um, <laughs> but like we did. So for the longest time, I was one of those people. I thought, okay, if the game does not support mechanics to do something like uh, if, mm-hmm. I was one of those people. Um, and then I realized it doesn't matter. Like, or at least for me, it doesn't matter. Everyone is different mm-hmm. and every table is different. But for me, if my players are having fun, just talking to people with the occasional skill checks, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yep. Um, a good fact, example of this okay, yeah. is: Have either of you played um, any any of Ghost of Saltmarsh? Uh, yeah, uh, I've played a little the, bit. Uh, I've played one of the scenarios. Have you? Did you play the adventure, or have you read the adventure with the lizard folk? No, I haven't. It, it's been it's been um, months, and I'm trying to remember which one we played. I can't remember. I don't remember. Okay. So small spoilers for if you're listening and you're playing or planning on playing in Salt Marsh game, small spoilers for the adventure dealing with the lizard folk. <laughs> um, so in this adventure, the players are sent to a lizard folk colony because they, they're, they're buying up arms and uh, the local people are worried that they're planning on buying weapons because they're going to attack Salt Marsh. Okay. So you go there, and your mission is try to figure out what's going on. So the players are initially, at least my players initially went in, they weren't planning on fighting. Like, their first goal was they wanted to talk to someone. Mm-hmm. And then they figured if they have to, they'd fight their way out. Um, but so they get there, and they find that the uh, lizard folk are fairly pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, they've made they've made new best friends with one of the lizard folk. Um, we're going to add him to Lieutenant Diane as <laughs> characters, yeah. dumb characters I've made up on the spot that are now the party's best friends. Um, because of course that's what would happen. Um, <laughs> but they I used um skill checks. Like to do yeah. things around, mm-hmm. and they and the player and I used the three and I used like I used uh, skill challenges like from fourth edition, and uh, players had a blast. They're just talking and getting to know the lizard folk, and winning over like they they had to win over the priests, like and they did that with like a display of magic. Mm-hmm. Like the cleric was like, yeah, we were like losers. Will go like, yeah, we worship, uh, you know, our ancestors and that kind of thing. Like, oh, I, I, I worship the uh, ill matter god of the sun. And they're like, oh, haha, silly, silly you. And then she showed off her magic, and they're like, ooh, okay. Mm. So, and they're like, all right. And the thing uh, is, that's how the game's supposed to be run. The- I mean, in the rules, it's like, you know, ignore the rules for the sake of the game. That's been in every edition or some variation thereof. And I and I think I think on some level there's this dismissal of and there, well, there's this idea. OK, well, if what's the difference between doing this and playing pretend? Mm. And. <laughs> 
I wonder if sometimes playing pretend is okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, like one of the things that I said was that, you know, I'm in a first edition game uh, where, um, you know, it's been entirely talking and we barely rolled any dice. And the response was, well, if you don't roll, if you haven't rolled any dice and you haven't anything like that, that that that's just a bad game design. Like what? No, it's it's going in and role playing and using your imagination. And there's nothing like that. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I I I would tend to agree with that. Yeah, like, and I and I wonder if that's something that um, gamification kind of takes away. Like, I love indie games. Don't get me wrong. I love. Like, heck, I'm working on a one-page game right now. But sometimes I think not everything has to be a mechanic. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it absolutely makes sense. In fact, one of the things that I really appreciated about 5th edition was the explicit statement that, um, that comes out in the rules. And I know we've talked about this before here, too. Where they say, listen, if you as the DM decide that this thing sounds like a really cool thing for the players to be able to do, do it. Don't, Mm -hmm. don't, you know, don't wait around. Just say, you know what, according to what I see here, I want this to happen. And so according to the rules now, you guys have done that thing. And I've had DMs do that a number of times and it's been really terrific fun having the gm be like well i mean hell the uh blow up the dungeon with a bucket full of brown mold thing there was nothing in the rules that said this is how that has to work but there was also nothing in the rules that said it can't work that way so that's what we ended up doing Mm -hmm. and um and like i said when i was talking with this uh they it brought up a specific instance in a specific game, indie game where you the reason as as an example of why you can't have someone who's not emotionally invested as a, as running an indie game or whatever that um, they'd be breaking the rules because you have to have a specific uh, role playing amount uh, of role playing or you're breaking the rules and I think that's going too far too. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? It, I was going to say, um, I because you mentioned that before, and one yeah. of the things that uh, one of the things that I've run into is we've got some friends of ours who really love playing with us, but uh, for the role playing parts, they really just kind of want to sit there and watch. And then when it gets mm-hmm. to the combat parts, they're you know they're happy to step back in and sort of assert themselves but for the most part they're they're not comfortable role playing and this is this is something that i can say conclusively after years of trying to encourage some of these folks to sort of come out and and you know step up a little bit more and everything and it's it's they're not comfortable with it it's not that it's not that they're bad at it or anything like that but that they don't want to be the center of attention in that way. They, they're much more comfortable having a set of rules to sort of slightly, um, I guess, insulate them from that part of things a little bit. So I mean, that's why I go, go ahead. Hmm? Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Sorry. I'd, I'd stopped actually. So, Oh, you said so. So, I just, but that's that's why I don't like this D and D versus indie thing. I mean, cultural culturally, um, you know, consumer wise, yes, there's absolutely a big guy versus little guy thing. But I mean, as far as gameplay goes, you can get differings from different games, and neither of them are. It's not. It, they're not, not. One isn't necessarily better than the other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and that attitude, which I see a lot, although amusingly not from most people who make indie games, um, mm-hmm. is is really, it feels very toxic to me. I mean, people who make indie games will bitch about wizards. <laughs> and that's fine. 
they'll bitch about the fact that it's hard to get into the market and D&D has way too much of the market share and blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. But saying, you know, saying they're going on a superiority complex, I don't see that so much. Mm-hmm. Well, um, if we're if we're talking about wizards, like wizards is kind of its own whole mess of problems from mm-hmm. the Mike Merle situation yeah. to yeah. the DMs Guild. Not, you, know, you don't own your products anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That that they're I mean they're not perfect, but no. Although uh, I th- I think that, that the wizard I think the DMs Guild thing was so predictable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So like anyway, ultimately, ultimately I like. So as we've been sitting here talking, I've kind of been thinking about something that I saw this summer. Um, I was on a panel, I was looking at a panel, or looking at, I was at a panel that was a bunch of uh, queer game de- game developers. Mm-hmm. And there were a bunch of indie folk, and one person who kind of did mainstream stuff, and it kind of hurt my feelings a little bit to see how she got treated. Mm-hmm. Because I, I I think there's almost this snobbery. I'm not sure I'm saying this right. No, no I understand what you're saying. And it like like I don't I'm not begrudging anyone who wants to play something. Like I think all gaming is good gaming, except if you're playing Fatal. <laughs> um, so if you don't know what that is, go to RPG.net and read that review. Because, yikes. Um, but, I don't know. Like, I don't want, I don't want anyone to ever, in, in, the, in the tabletop community, particularly the queer tabletop community, it's like, if you are having fun, if you are kind of letting yourself be with people, be with your friends, enjoy yourself, I don't see any of that as bad. If if you're playing D and D, if you're playing an indie game, if you're playing the game right or wrong, I just I, I I'm not. I just don't like this. I don't like the splitting of the, of the community. I, I feel like things are already hard enough for us. <laughs> let's yeah. Let's not. Let's not divide ourselves. Let's not add. Let's let's not add this to the queer discourse, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And like I said, I mean that experience notwithstanding, most of the creators I know are uh, would agree that you know you can have you can have cool games with with just about any game if you've got people who are into it. Um, you know, I mean. Most most of the indie creators I know personally either grew up through D&D or have fond memories of D&D or um, designed, worked on ancillary products or, uh, um, or et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I, I, I don't know anyone with I, – I know plenty of people who get pissed at wisdom and – for many reasons, I don't know to get pissed at the idea of people playing D and D. I think I get pe- they get pissed at the idea of people playing exclusively D and D, which I can understand. I mean, you know, it is just one flavor that's out there. Um, the idea that 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 it's the end all and be all of role playing is is a problem as well. But um, but like um. The Bakers, you know, I we we I mean, it's not the first game I played with them, but we were in a gigantic D and D thirty years ago. That was uh-huh. that was fantastic. That's how Frank met them. Um, yep. uh, uh-huh. uh, Crystal, Crystal Fraser worked on Pathfinder for a long time, and let's be perfectly frank, Pathfinder um, first edition when it started was the. Oh yeah, know, I hope I'm not hurting anybody. 
I hope I'm not hurting any Pathfinder people out there. And, you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, at, the, at that point, everybody was pissed off because, because D&D had suddenly become fourth edition, and that's why <laughs> Pathfinder managed to find its audience. But Well, I mean, I mean Paizo, Paizo was its own can of worms. Yeah. No. Paizo is its own can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think kind of the takeaway we, we can give from this is play what you want. Play games. Tell stories. Mm-hmm. Even if you are passing around a story stick or you are playing Phoenix Command. Uh, for those <laughs> of you that don't know what Phoenix Command is, you're better off. Um, <laughs> but, you know, go out and have fun. Um, I, I My kind of thought is there's enough issues with being queer in the tabletop community. <laughs> we don't need to fight over which edition is better, which... Is it indie or mainstream games are better? Play games. Go have fun. I, yeah, I would say don't close your mind to 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 a, a type of game. Um, you know, I mean, there are crap indie games. There are crap D&D games, um, D&D campaigns or whatever. Don't assume that just because you've played in a crap one that that's all there is. Yeah, like so for like well we we can tell stories all day. I'm I'm gonna save my story <laughs> for a different day. But let's okay. I think since we are running a little late on time, let's go ahead and move on to shout outs. Unless there's anything else, last thoughts we wanna say. Uh, um uh, I don't know. I've said too much already. <laughs> Fran, do you have any any last thoughts you wanna you wanna add to things? Um, <clears throat> let me give me just a moment to sort of compose my thoughts. Um, okay. Well, I tell you what. While you're doing that, I'm gonna mm. give my shout out. Okay, go, go ahead. So, what I am shouting out to this week is a YouTube channel called Look Mum No Computers. Um, this is one of the most bonkers YouTube channels I've ever come across. That's saying a lot. It's, it's this, um, this British punk guy who he's done things like literally stringing together a mile of guitar cables to check to see if there's any latency. Um, His most recent video, which which inspired this shout out, because we were, we were literally watching it while we were eating dinner, um, called the the Game Boy Mega Machine, where he's built a musical instrument like stri- daisy chaining together all these Game Boy sound cards, and having like hijacking the screens to display um, custom pixel patterns. It's the most cyberpunk instrument I've ever heard of. <laughs> and honestly, listening to it being played, it's mind-blowing. Like, I don't often say this. Uh, I mean, I'm a musician. I was amazed. My jaw dropped. I've never heard anything like this before. <laughs> so if you're interested in cool electronica music, Check out uh, Lick Mum No Computers. <laughs> okay, so to, f- to finish up, um, what I remember from the big argument on Cassie's thread was somebody saying, you know, really all it is is just people putting numbers and values on, you know, playground games of I got you, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Well, yeah, that is kind of all that combat rules really are, is adding enough randomization to it to keep things at least a little bit uncertain, um, but still give you some level of control and some level of ability to gauge your your character's um, um, 
I'm not going to say power, but effectiveness against other characters in, in a given setting. Um, that really is the purpose of, of, um, of I'm going to say gameplay, not simulation, because I've played, I mean, <clears throat> I started out playing cyberpunk, right? Cyberpunk, especially um, original cyberpunk 2013, was really heavy duty simulation. It was it was very, very in depth and there were expansions put out to make it even more in depth. Um, you know, how armor worked, how guns worked, all this kind of stuff. And yet at the same time, my cyberpunk GMs frequently would just kind of, you know, you do something ridiculous and cool with a squirt gun and the DM would just be like, okay, yeah, let's see where this goes. Um, it it's it's not about what level of simulation is best. There isn't a best level of simulation. Um, that's going to vary from table to table. It's going to vary from um, context to context. I mean, you know, tune games don't really need super refined simulation unless they do. I I bet I could come up with cases where where you know you you actually want to have a heavy simulation tune game and you could actually have fun with that. Um, anybody that tells you, basically, I'll go back to the thing that, um, and yeah, this is my rant. Everybody else has had their rant for the evening. This is mine. Um, <laughs> I had a psychology professor who told me a really profound thing once, which is absolutes are always wrong. And <laughs> If that sounds like a paradox, that's because it is. And that's kind of what's wonderful about it, because it reminds you of just how dumb it is to say always or never or can't or must. Um, games are about having fun. If you're having fun, you're having fun. If you're not having fun, change the system. Change how you run the system. Change how you play the system. Do away with the system entirely for a week. See how that goes. Do experiments. Play. The whole point of games is to play. And the point of play is to indulge your imagination and your creativity and to find ways to have fun that you hadn't thought of before. And, of course, to tell giant, enormous stories and come up with ridiculous ideas for your character's backstory, like my Vulcan ambassador, who'd last served on a, 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 a Klingon bird of prey and thus was practicing his insults throughout the entire uh, Ravenloft game that we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, go, f go find the fun. Don't stop. Stop arguing about whether something is right or not. Is it fun? Okay, good. Let's do that. And that's my rant for the evening. And um, I guess I get a shout out too. So I'm going to try to hurry through this one because, you know, we've eaten up a ton of everybody's time and I want you guys all to get back onto your dinners or your showers or whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this podcast. Mine is uh, gut Mine is Gundam Build Fighters, which is a wonderful, ridiculous show that you can find on Crunchyroll. You can actually buy the buy the DVDs, too, if you're a fogey like me who actually likes to own the things you own. Um, and it is in a universe where someone has discovered something called a Plavsky particle, which is a oh. terrible pun if you're a Gundam fan. Basically, it's a, it's a type of... Uh, particle that allows you to animate the type of, of uh, plastic that goes into Gundam models. And so you can have these giant holographic arenas where your Gunpla can fight each other on various, various levels of, of uh, difficulty and damage um, and tear each other apart. And what is amazing about it is it is a superset of all of the Gundam universes because it's literally Gundam fans building models from the show, you know, Bandai, Bandai hobby plastic models from the show, customizing them, creating their own special mix-ups of, you know, uh, of uh, Gundam Seed Destiny, <clears throat> Destiny crossed over with Mobile Suit Gundam Origins, crossed over with Unicorn or whatever. Um, so it sees down into all the separate Gundam universes and it embraces all of them. And it's just full of Gundam love. It is, it is a real salute to what is 
fun about Gundam, and it's loaded with in-jokes. And in some ways, the whole series is an in-joke. And in some ways, it's actually a really damn good Gundam series, too. There are... Uh, if you can name a trope from Gundam, it's actually in this show. It's represented in this show and played straight on and done beautifully. And at the same time, it's probably also in the show and done as a spoof really beautifully. So I, I, it's, it's nice and it's refreshing and it's really fun. And I just recommend it. So that's Gundam Build Fighters and the sequel Build Fighters Try. And I believe there's another sequel called Gundam Build Divers, but I haven't gotten to that one yet to be able to speak to it. Yeah, I've that... only seen a few episodes of it, um, but it is it is fun. And it's not <laughs> just robots fighting, because Gundam is not just robots fighting. Oh, hell no. Some people oh, no. Gun- Gundam is all about how adults fuck everything up and how kids are the only real hope for any possible decent future. Well, the the way I the way I always describe um, certainly one year the one year timeline is war is bad and it hurts everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, no, I am I am quite I I am I'm willing or not willing I am happy to sit and listen to Gundam talk. <laughs> uh, we are no that's what we're standing. Ah. Uh-huh. Okay. Bringing it back, we are a Gundam Stan and Sour Candy Stan podcast. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Uh, So, anyway, uh, now that I've said that. Okay, well, I wanted to thank everyone for tuning in. uh, Thank everybody for being here. And where can we be found? Uh, I can be found on Twitter. At Tip Transformed. And I can be found on Twitter at Ronalyn Valor. And as always, you can buy my book Vigilant anywhere that fine ebooks are sold. And you can also get it in print on uh, Drive Through Fiction. And fairly shortly, you are going to be able to see me and my wife, the co-author of Vigilant, at uh, Geek Girl Con, where we'll be running select uh, Vigilant training missions and uh, other scenarios in the Scarred Land setting. Sounds so fun. I've wanted to go to Geek Girl Con for such a long time. <laughs> should have should have been a huge heads up. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Liz, where they where where can they find you? Sorry, excuse me. Um, I am inside that expired can of vegetables inside your pantry. Uh, but you can also find me uh, on Twitter at little underscore Lizzie 22. Uh, you can find our podcast. Uh, crap. Hang on a second. You can find us on Twitter. Also, uh, we are. Uh, uh, should have been ready. Sorry. We are uh, at transmissions and as always, if you've been a long-time listener, remember, if you want to follow us, listen to how I spelled it, because I spelled it wrong when I signed up for the Twitter account. We are at T-R-A-N-S-M-I-S-T-I-O-N-S, and as always, all of our social media will be in the uh, show notes. And we are on Facebook uh, at uh, Tabletop Transmissions. And this podcast can be found on Podbean and iTunes. If you listen to us on iTunes, please give a starred review. So we will bump up in their mighty algorithm. I believe right now, as uh, as we are recording, I believe mm-hmm. we are at um, two reviews. <gasps> Hang on, I'm actually going to double check. While you're double-checking that, let me remind people that um, we would really, really like your feedback. We'd really like your questions. We would really still like to do a show, another show uh, centered around at least one listener question, um, uh, hopefully soon. Um, so if you have any questions, if you have any feedback, please, 
please, please get in touch with any of us at the social media that we've mentioned or with the show on um, Twitter or on um, Facebook, and we should see those comments. Um, and, uh, and yeah, yeah it would just be really, really great to hear from you all. Okay, so it looks like we are still at two reviews, but they are, they are five-star reviews, so thanks to whoever, hey. whoever did that. Um, so, anyway, folks, um, it's been fun chatting with y'all, and we hope to, you'll listen to us next week. Yep. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. Take care, everyone.